Welcome to Dreamers to Leaders, Keeping It Real with Melody podcast. Melody is a foreign dreamer who started from being a flight attendant and worked her way up into now a tech fashion trendsetter, thought leader, and seasoned entrepreneur in multiple successful ventures. This podcast is for the awakened dreamer. Industry icons will share their humble beginnings up to the leaders they are today. Let's all learn and be inspired. Together, we can all prosper. Hello and welcome to the Dreamers to Leaders podcast. It's a podcast for the dreamers, but more importantly, the doers. I'm your host, Melody. Today, we will dive in the world of leadership consultants. Joining us here today is Anna Liebel. She studied in three European countries, originally from Ukraine, and currently living in Reykjavik in Iceland. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Anna Liebel. Hello, Anna. Welcome to the show. Hi, Melody. Super pumped to be with you here. Wonderful. Imagine from Los Angeles to Reykjavik in Iceland. How cool is that? Yeah, I'm, I feel so grateful for all these conversations and the possibilities we're having on a daily basis. So let's start. I'm excited to, to hear your story, Anna. Uh, take us back to the time when, uh, when you were starting out with your career as a leadership uh, consultant. How was that like for you? I would probably uh, roll a bit back even further with the starting as a, my career as the project manager because that's where I started in the corporate world. I uh, am originally from Ukraine and I moved to Sweden to do my master's degree in project management there. And as a newly grad, I got a job or actually while still finishing my master's thesis, I got a job and started working as the project coordinator in a big international company or global company. And project coordinator is a kind of a right hand for a project manager. And those project managers whom I was helping, they were handling projects with hundreds of people under them. And I was coming there, I was 23 years old, a newly freshly graduated and the quite often the only female, the youngest, and quite often the only person with international background behind the or around the table. So that is where my career started. Uh-huh. So with regards to, uh, to that journey, you know, being an immigrant, uh, being the youngest in the group, uh, being a female in a mostly male-dominated environment. How did you overcome those challenges, Anna? I think there were two things I want to point out here. First one is the curiosity. I have it quite naturally, and the more I've been working on my personal development, the, the more it grew within me, the curiosity about why people think the way they think, why people say the things they say. So just trying to understand their point of view and their background was really helping me to go through some tough moments and some weird comments and the, the kind of conversations that probably you would not consider relevant for in the workplace. And second part was actually uh, having the support. So smart enough I was to find a support team and have both male colleagues who were senior than more senior than me and female colleagues maybe not in the same role but somewhere in the same office to vent to prepare for the meetings with to just discuss the situation so those two things first trying to really always to understand mm -hmm. the others without judgment just just seeing like okay what what do they see that I don't mm -hmm. and where, where does that come from 
And the second part is really to have some kind of support environment that that really helped me go through the a lot of moments. Being open, having that flexibility and having uh, an open mind in, um, in pretty much everything kind of led you to, to this journey, right? Uh, so you mentioned support. How is it like, you know, uh, you mentioned that uh, that you have a child, you have, you know, family, a home, the work-life balance, which is uh, uh, a juggle that a lot of uh, women entrepreneurs face. How does that work for you? It's a struggle. <laughs> it's a struggle. I, I, I won't say that I'm a superhuman. I have the challenges as well. The thing for me is I haven't been believing in this work-life balance for a while. For me, work is such a passionate part of me that it, it's not just kind of separate. It's not, it's not easy to separate it from the rest of me. It's just part of me. So I was like, I'm more into the, the using the term of work-life integration that is on the market, so to say, uh, these days. But what I use the balance in is for the inner balance. And that's what I'm teaching my clients as well to find that inner core that actually helps you get through the challenges of having a lot of balls in the air and trying to prioritize things daily. So we're talking about the inner balance there. But if we talk about me, I have a two-year-old daughter. So I, I said that I have two kids, one human baby and one business baby. And it is quite challenging, to be honest. And the thing is that I have been prioritizing those two, my family and my business, quite a lot. And I have realized in the last past, like in the past couple of months, I've been not prioritizing myself, mm-hmm. which is ironic because that's what I've been teaching a lot of my clients <laughs> all the time. Going, going back to, to what you said, I think really uh, you nailed it. If you have uh, if you have your work as your passion, right? And if you have that convergence of your passion, your purpose and your work, then somehow the balance or the imbalance kind of works, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is. And I think that's important that uh, you find that passion and it's possible for every job in the world. The statistics are showing that the 30% of people in whichever job you take, they are happy in that job. Or statistically, there are 30% of people who will be happy in that job. So it is about trial and error and a lot of reflection and a lot of self-development that actually can help you find your job that is actually a fun playground for you. So so uh, you mentioned trial and error. During that journey of you with your career moves, what has been your biggest uh, biggest learning with, with the mistakes and the error uh, that you have experienced? I'm I'm so struggling every time I'm asked about the failures or errors because they're always learnings for me in the end. And I think my husband is so much better to remember my kind of tough moments than me. And I'm like, I've never been in this challenging situation before. And he's like, remember this and that project. And the thing it's is a learning. My- so every failure for you is an opportunity. Uh, to learn. Now let's talk about, uh, you know, looking at your, your webpage, Uh, you, you have mentioned zone of genius. What do you mean by that? And is that part of, of uh, how you, um, how you coach or how uh, part of your consulting, finding that zone of genius? Can you elaborate on that, Anna? 
Absolutely. I believe that everyone have their has their own zone of genius. And that's the space in which they have alignment between what they do and what they like. And with, with that is aligned with their vision, what kind of human being they want to be, what kind of legacy they want to build in this world, what do they want to leave behind themselves. So finding this alignment being clear on that vision and having the tools to follow that on the daily is what I call the zone of genius. When you are able to, to really be in that zone and in, in that alignment as often as possible and as much as possible. And of course, life happens and you're thrown out of that zone. But with the tools that I teach my clients and what you what the second part question was, Melody, that whether that's what I work with. Yes, that's a big part of what I work with with my clients. Finding the the tools to to identify that oh now I'm thrown out of my zone and having the ways of getting there as soon as possible and staying there this is what we do as they say uh, true genius is not about uh, doing extraordinary things it's about doing the ordinary things in an extraordinary way right yeah, uh, so how do you cultivate that in your consulting work how do you con- cultivate the the genius within with, I, with your work. I think you tapped on a very, very important part, uh, Melody, with the, the extra, extraordinary ways of doing ordinary things. We quite often think if we need to follow our vision, it has to be some huge event in our life happening, or we need to take a lot of effort and like in, in enormous leaps, you know, but it's really those tiny micro steps and those actions and our thoughts that we have every single minute, every single day that actually create that huge result in the end, they compound. So, so you're right about the baby steps. Um, and I think there's a saying about uh, the creation of a thousand forest begins with a single acorn, right? So uh, sometimes you don't really need to see the whole staircase just take that first step right so that's kind of how you help uh your your clients by exactly we 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 really break it down so we we look at the big goals so we work a lot on identifying their values and their vision but then we break it down okay where are you at the moment how would the first step look like not even look at the don't even look at five steps ahead look at the first step how can you get tiny little bit closer to that vision of yours. So, and then then I hold them account, accountable to taking that step. And then we actually practice it. We get in the reps so that they actually build the muscle of doing it automatically. And only then we take the next tiny little baby step. Mm-hmm. So that's how it work. Yeah, they say to make a real change uh, in an organization, there needs to be that behavioral uh, change. And how do you, how do, you do that? And it's by doing, uh, you know, one baby step uh, at a time, right? And doing that consistently. Uh, you touched on legacy. And I think most leaders, if those are your, your clientele, that's truly why they become a leader. They want to create a legacy, build a legacy. How, how, do, you, um, how do you cultivate that? Or how do you help your clients create that lasting legacy? I think it's partly about learning about yourself and really knowing how you function as a human being because you can't be a good leader and get a team on board and lead them towards building or helping you build your legacy if you don't understand yourself 
when we when we've done the homework on on your side and you understand how you function how, what are your actions and reactions and emotions then you take yourself out of the equation and you you like you have the resources to help your team mm -hmm. to to really create their zone of genius so this is a big part of what we do I agree. I agree. Finding that uh, your unique ability. And as you said, there's that zone of genius. In addition, there is that uniqueness in, in everyone. And that comes with knowing your, your unique strengths and, uh, and weakness. And knowing your strength is what you pretty much harness and, and utilize to help, to help your team. And then complement that with, uh, with someone that is strong on what your weakness is, right? I think you're tapping into two very interesting points here, like uh, Melody. The first one is about knowing your strength. And the, the pattern that I see with my clients, a lot of them are high performers who have, unfortunately, that some way of the imposter syndrome. So no matter what the strengths are, they don't pay attention to them. And big chunk of our work is me actually banging that into their head. like dude, you are great at this. Lady, you are amazing at this. And look at the progress you've done just now in, in a couple of weeks and so on and so forth. So really empowering them and getting, like making them used to see their progress and to see their positive sides instead of just focusing on what they have not achieved yet, what they have not improved yet and so on. This is a big part of our work that actually brings my clients to the next level. So the imposter, the imposter syndrome, yeah. um, that is a very interesting, interesting uh, concept. And I think, you know, anything that is fake or anything that's inauthentic, somehow it's going to haunt you and it's going to not, not going to help, you know, if you're just not trying to be you. So learning you, I guess it boils down to, to again, you as a human being, what makes you tick and, um, and really knowing that versus trying to be someone that you're not. And I think that's the, that's the pitfall uh, of a lot of, uh, of a lot of everyone, regardless, leader or not, right? Yeah, exactly. You're, you're so right with that, Melody. And actually, I remember the second part, what I uh, wanted to say is about the weaknesses. And you, you mentioned the strengths of the others using those. This is something that I see with the great leaders who I interview for my podcast, that they actually hire for their weaknesses. And that's what I try to do with my, uh, with my company as well. Whenever I'm looking for a new person, it's about thinking like, okay, I don't want to, to have another Anna. I want to have someone who who really kind of vibes with the job that I feel bored about with or with that I just am so slow and not interested in and so on. So it's really about finding like, okay, like I don't have to be the best at everything I that has to be done in my company, but I have to be the best in bringing the best out of the other people in my company. So yeah, uh, nobody wants a mini me, right? <laughs> a mini me or, or, or a clone you. Uh, you want someone with with the right uh, that would bring uh, the right uh, synergy uh, to your to your organization. I agree. Uh, with regards to um, to the biggest difference that you've seen uh, with your clients, so mm -hmm. so not working working with them to working with them. What? What areas of development or progress have you seen uh, with your clients? Um, it's several. Quite often, they, they notice something in their relationships at home with their kids or their spouses. 
which is unusual because they come to me with their leadership assignments, right? And their work-related issues. So this is something that they, they take home with them. And that's what I love, how they start applying the learnings from our work to the other areas and the other situations of, in their lives. Not only those that we kind of have worked through and built the muscles for, but they, they see that they're more present, they're a bit more curious, and that really eliminates a lot of misunderstandings, miscommunications, and misalignments with, uh, with expectations. Because I think quite a lot of um, us assuming instead of being curious, leads to to miscommunication so that's one part and the other one is quite big that is quite big to me is really releasing that self-doubt okay that you're that. what was the that self that? self-doubt self-doubt they don't doubt down the cells anymore so quite often people come to me and i'm like okay we're going to work on your self-esteem because you really need to understand that you are good as you are you don't need to achieve all those things to be good and to feel that you're enough and they're like hold on <laughs> wait a minute i need to be the achiever like i got that far in my career there are a lot of people depending on me now i need to stay like at the high performing uh, level and i'm like you're not gonna stop performing at that level it's just that you're gonna enjoy it more and you will actually have much more energy because you're not wasting energy on doubting yourself. So you'll have even more energy to perform, to be a good leader and a good spouse, a good parent and a good community member. I, I think it's no surprise that if, uh, if you learn how to lead and you start from leading within, then, then it starts from, it's, it'll also boils down to uh, how you interact uh, with the people at home. So I guess that's why you've seen that difference with with people that have learned to not just lead others, but lead themselves, right? And actually, we we often, uh, I'll just tap into that, that no matter in which dimension you lead, one-to-many, one-to-one, you always lead one, the dimension of one, as I say, and it's self-leadership, what you're talking about, leadership within. And I agree. I agree. <laughs> I think that's prime. <laughs> that's, um, uh, it's hard to lead anyone if you can't um, lead yourself. And, and I think it also boils down to having uh, self-discipline, right? Yeah. Self-discipline, self-mastery, all that good stuff that comes from uh, knowing thyself. Let's shift uh, gears uh, a little bit here. Um, here in Hollywood, uh, there is, um, you know, it's been controversial uh, with regards to um, gender pay inequality. Uh, do you see that there as well? I, I think uh, there was the statistics that that showed around um, around there are, there's 25 percent difference in pay between male and female in around 2015. 2020, mm-hmm. that has narrowed to around 19%. Why do you think it's that? And do you, do you see any solution uh, or propose some to- sort of a solution to this, uh, to this gap? It's a very interesting question and quite philosophical. I would say that my spontaneous answer would be that it often happens because we don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. A lot of things have been happening the way that they have been happening, right? Women have been busy with the, with the families, with, with t- taking the care of the household, and men have been doing business, building the society and so on. Mm-hmm. So it's just the way how we, we used to see in things. And yes, of course, now some things are changing or a lot of things are changing, right? The career path have opened, the workplaces have opened for women. But a lot of things are still those rooted patterns that we don't understand both women and men 
that we don't really realize that we are following the, the footsteps of our fathers and grandfathers and mothers and grandmothers. And we are keeping ourselves behind in that development. And we, I don't mean me, uh, we women, I mean, we as a society that we, we kind of don't notice things that, that would help us get to the next level to close that gap. Mm -hmm. So maybe, um, so yeah, it is, it's still a, a global, a global problem, right? And, uh, but the good news is it has really not narrowed down, you know, from 25% to 19%. And hopefully as new leaders come out and, and now leaders are more aware and women are more aware that they need uh, somehow that, that equality uh, mm -hmm. to happen because it's the same work. Uh, as a matter of fact, maybe there's more juggling that happens with women, right? And yet uh, there's that uh, pay differential um, between uh, the genders. Now, there's a little trivia here. Did you know that 4.9% of Fortune 500 companies are women and only 2% in Standard and Poor 500 companies are women? Why do you think is that? And you think that there is, do you see a trend that somehow that is going to increase uh, soon? I think it is going to increase, but I think it still will take a, a generation. So our kids with you, Melody, they, they will probably see the bigger change in that and will get closer to uh, equality there, be it 40-60 or 50-50. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really taking this kind of generational um it's a tr transformation that takes this generational uh, change, so to say. Mm. So there is a crisis. Crisis management is something that has been a word, uh, has been a leadership uh, term uh, for the longest time. But with the pandemic, now there, it has taken a different term, right? What have, um, so in terms of uh, uh, things and steps and strategies that leaders have, have taken what what have you seen in terms of what they've done to flourish in this crisis or or um, taking this crisis and turning it into an opportunity? Is there like a common denominator that you've seen among leaders that have actually done that? There are several. And actually, just, just before our interview, I was reading an, um, uh, an article at Harvard, Harvard Business Review that showed that women seem to be more appreciated as leaders during this crisis. So in the 2020 pandemic, leaders... Oh, can you repeat that part? Sorry, fem female, female leaders have been seen as good leaders more than men, male leaders mm -hmm. in the crisis, in the times of crisis. And the article was talking about the glass cliff as the, compar like, as the term of glass ceiling that many people know. There is a term of glass cliff where women are often thrown into the situations to save the situations in the companies when there is a crisis. And apparently that works better than with men. And they're talking glass, about- uh, Glass cliff, I, I, I haven't heard of that. Glass mm -hmm. ceiling, ceiling, yes. So uh, interesting. So with a glass cliff, mm -hmm. uh, women seem to know how to uh, navigate that, <laughs> that type of situation better. Mm -hmm. That's that, that's what they're showing. And actually, this term was also new to me. So I need to explore it more. As I said, I just read this article before. And it was interesting to see that this actually the appreciation of female leaders has increased during the crisis. And I would say that quite a lot of that goes into the em empathy 
into curiosity, into being able to put yourself in the shoes of the others, because we women are a bit more naturally prone to do that or talented to do that or taught to be and brought up to, to do that a bit more naturally. So this is a big part of that. And also the adjustments that was shown quite a lot in the studies during the pandemic times in the leadership community, that the ability to change and to adjust, but at the same time, keep the vision as a leader are the important things to, to stay on board and keep everyone on board uh, to get through those stormy seas. And I think women are a bit more used to doing that because we need to juggle more things with the family, with, with work, right? And trying to also keep ourselves beautiful and whatever. Mm -hmm. So we have a bit more cats on ourselves quite often historically, and that probably helps us for good or for bad <laughs> to be better leaders in the crisis. So let me uh, jump in on what you said about empathy uh, and with, uh, with this pandemic. Uh, there's also uh, studies that have uh, been shown that men now are more empathetic on uh, what women have to go through and juggle now that they could actually, now that they were kind of forced to, uh, to stay home and do work at home. So now they see and have a better appreciation of what women uh, actually go through. So imagine uh, all their life, they have been uh, just looking at this path of, of work, home and, and what mm -hmm. have you. But with women, you know, there's kids doing virtual uh, learning, making sure there's dinner and, and all that. So all those uh, things that, uh, that are part of the dynamics of, uh, of a working mother. So again, uh, it, there is that empathy and more uh, appreciation. So that's maybe a positive thing that has uh, happened from, uh, from uh, this pandemic. Um, so let's, uh, let's talk about um, common denominators among leaders that you've, that you've seen are are present in those that are flourishing and, and thriving. What makes a good leader, Anna? So we, we tech, uh, covered a couple of them already. One of them is being able to put yourself in the shoes of your employees and actually be able to focus on their uh, individual needs. That, that was also another shift that people have seen or research has seen uh, to be appreciated among leaders. The Before the pre-pandemic times, the good or optimal focus was focus on the deliverables 60% of the time of a leader and 40% on individual needs. And during the pandemic that shifted and actually became vice versa. So the most successful leaders are the ones who focus 60% of their time on the individual needs of their team and employees and 40% on the deliverables. So this is one of the parts. The other part we also covered a bit already is the, uh, be, the ability to to keep the vision of the company alive, no matter what, and be this visionary leader who keeps reminding people about what are we here for? Mm -hmm. Why are we still coming to job, even if it's checking into the Zoom or from our dining table at home? So keeping this connection from today to the ultimate goal that we as a company want to achieve. That's the next, another thing. And then again, being adaptable to change or like being ready to change because change is inevitable, right? It's not a matter of if it happens, it's a matter of what, when it happens. And this year it has happened to 
the vast majority of the companies for good or for bad. And with regards to common mistakes, uh, so you've seen the ingredients to make them successful. How about those common thread of pitfalls that you've seen among leaders? I think one of them is to trying to really continue as it was, so uh-huh. just moving everything being virtually. <laughs> In a, uh, yeah, that's a good way of putting it, Melody. Actually, it is being stuck. But what I was thinking about really is like having the same meet- meeting structures, for example, as you had before the pandemic, just moving it to online tools. That doesn't work. We, we, we're getting more tired because we can't read all, uh, each other's facial expressions and body language just as, as effectively when everyone is like a small rectangle, rectangles on the, on the screen, right? Mm-hmm. As if we in the room. And there are a lot of other factors and just the environment being at home, there are still more distractors than just coming into the conference room in your office and being able to focus on what we're discussing. So there, there were a lot of shifts that people had to make. And one of those six more failure <laughs> common denominators is trying to just transfer everything from the physical office to online world. Mm-hmm. Uh- so lastly, you also touched on values, right? So um, how does having a, a clear definition of a leader's value uh, help them with their strategies and with directions and, and how they lead? Since I work with that, I'm really, I really am a believer that uh, the values are the defining factors. The key here is to really do the job and pick the right ones. And the second part is to actually habitualize them. So to like make them a habit and a, a practice that you actually practice those values on a daily basis. So how we do it with the defining values for my, for my clients, um, they, they Google some list of values or characteristics of human being. And there are a lot of lists on, the, on, the, uh, on Google if you just go and, and search, they provide you hundreds of options. And what I make them do as a homework is to go through those hundreds and pick up, like just write down all of those that resonate mm-hmm. and then start narrowing down. And they have that list and they have that list and they have that list until they come to three. And just mm-hmm. trying to pick three is a really a lot of work on reflection on what is important for me, mm-hmm. what, is, what is maybe overlapping here and so on. So that's a big part and that gives them clarity on why are they here actually? And then the second part is what we do is setting reminders. So it could be alarms on your phone that you label with those value words that you see them on the screen. It could be post-its on your on a desktop. It could be a, a post-it or some card or you, you ask your kids to draw a painting and you put it on the fridge. So every time you come to the fridge, you see your value words. So they are in front of you every day. And also I always work with a daily reflection with my clients. They need to answer some particular questions in the evening in a journal. And that's what I suggest to them as well. Answering questions, what, I, what did I do well today? What did I do less well? What's my learning in that? And what do I need help with? Make those three value words a check-in point as well. Mm-hmm. Did I act present, for example? Was I empathetic? And so on, whatever your words are. So by those daily check-ins on multiple occasions, you are getting used to be that person you want to be. And you start aligning your actions and your thoughts towards that person. 
Sounds like a very effective uh, technique, Anna. Very works. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's end it with this. Um, so how can our uh, how can our audience uh, support you? How can they find you? If you want to reach out to me, I'm Anna Liebel, L-I-E-B-E-L on LinkedIn. And you can also go to annaliebel.com and uh, drop me a note, uh, an email through the contact form there. And I'll be happy to answer any of your questions. I had fun uh, chatting with you, Anna. Thank you so much for, uh, for gracing our show, especially with Thank our time much. difference, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a bad start, but bedtime story for me <laughs> today, Aww. but it was, a, it was a pleasure. Uh, All right. And um, so thank you again and more power to you. And for all the dreamers out there, keep believing. You got this. Till next time.